Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Monday. I hope that everyone who celebrated had a great Valentine's Day. I'm glad that you're back with me today, though, because we're going to warm up your February with author Allie Williams. And if you have never met her before, I'm going to read her bio so you can get to know her. But you're in for a treat. I write with her often on Zoom, and she's fantastic. And also, I need to tell you guys that Sedona Salvation is out today. It's the final book of the Sedona pack from me. So I hope you guys will go check it out. It's a big epic finish to the series, which makes me sad and happy. But um, there will be another wolf pack. We're going to go to Salem, Massachusetts next. You you met them in Sedona Sanctuary. So hopefully you'll come along with me for another wolf pack. (laughs) So Back to Allie, and she writes some really steamy books that are so, they are so injected with great characters that you, you just, it makes you all warm inside for all kinds of reasons. But I'll read her bio here so you can get to know her. (laughs) Allie Williams' inner romance reader is never quite satisfied, which is why she oscillates between writing romance, editing romance, and also studying it as part of her Ph.D., She can be found at the foot of the South Downs in the UK, either nerding out over local mythologies, reading tarot cards, or making homemade pasta according to her Nana's recipes. She believes with all of her mysterious heart that writing romance is an act of rebellion and that academia will be so much better when studying diverse happy ever afters is naturally part of the curriculum. As a freelance romance novel editor, she specializes in contemporary romance, erotic romance, paranormal and speculative romance, and romantic suspense. Allie is a member of the International Association for the Study of Popular Romance and the Romantic Novelists Association. And I did put a link to Allie's website right there on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live right now or if you're listening later, you can click that and go check out her website. You can sign up for her newsletter and also check out all the books that are coming out and so you don't miss anything. So I don't want to delay anymore. Allie, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Thank you for ha- for coming on. And I mentioned it in the bio, but Allie is actually over in the UK, so we are having a very long-distance show today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've called in. Using Skype, which I haven't used for quite some time, Zoom seems to have taken over. So it's a bit of a stretch back to the past here. Yeah, I'm so glad that Mercury is no longer in retrograde or we'd have a really exciting show. Oh, God. It's not even worth <laughs> thinking about. Reset would be horrendous. <laughs> so is it – I don't remember how many hours ahead you are, but it's nighttime where you are? It's 6 in the evening, so it's kind of the perfect time for – day. my day job has finished. We're talking about romance. Back. Well, exactly. <laughs> So yes. So um, so your new your new book, The Softest Kingsters, is like a whole bunch of steamy stories, right? Do you want to tell everybody why they should run out and grab it? Yeah, no, definitely. It's a it's a, a selection of romantic uh, short stories, and I should say erotic romance short series. 
that captures snippets of kinky life uh, from a stubby himbo librarian to married lesbians to done with ADHD. Uh, and the kinksters use kink to alleviate anxiety, find connection, and to get off hard. It's, it was an absolute <laughs> delight to write. And one of the things I really like exploring, um, particularly in my kinkier romances, is how kink intersects with anxiety and neurodiversity um, in a non-Fifty Shades of Grey kind of way. I, I'm not, you know, it's kinky, but it, it's not businessman in a big grey suit swooping in and, and saving the secretary. These are more snippets of people of everyday life, of normal people who just happen to be kinky and who are, as the title implies, incredibly soft, like the softest of soft characters. So it's been, <laughs> it was so much fun to write. And I think that because of Fifty Shades of Grey, lots of people um, were introduced to, you know, different kinky BDSM type things, and I think it's really neat in your collection how you show how different it can all be, right? Because so many people see, you know, the, the movie depiction where you make the agreement and you have the safe word and then, you know, let the flogging begin. Um, but you actually <laughs> gave us, like, like people, you know, who might live next door. Um, <laughs> So was that your intention yeah. going into it or? Oh, 100%. The first, so I wrote the first one as part of an anthology and it follows uh, these two people who live in a coastal town who have just started dating and it's, they've had a really great date and it's the first time she's actually, she's uh, gone over to his place and they get a bit kinky. And it's just your ordinary everyday people who have an apartment, who cook pasta together, who, you know, have gone for like walks along the beach and fought off seagulls while trying to eat fish and chips. Uh, very kind <laughs> of, I, I quite like finding romance in the mundane and in the ordinary uh, a little bit. So it, it's been, and then, you know, you've got other characters who, you know, who one of them is a librarian who's working in a library and ends up falling for uh, one of the women, for a woman who comes in to study in the library. And, you know, other characters are just best friends They've been best friends for years and suddenly realised that actually they've been in love with each other all along. Um, so yeah, it's it's been so much fun to do, and I've I was really lucky because um, New York Times bestseller Eden Bradley wrote a foreword for me for it, and um, Stephanie Simpson, who write who's a British author who writes a kinky disabled romance, uh, wrote an essay on kink being complicated at the end. So those are sort of the paperback exclusives that you don't get if you're buying the uh, short stories individually by a rebook. It's quite exciting. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so so people so can get been, a paperback edition and get the extra bonus content. Yes. So you can buy the, uh, most of the individual stories um, uh, an ebook by Amazon, uh, Apple Books, Kobo, Barnes and Noble, etc. Um, but the paperback has exclusive content, including two exclusive stories, one which is a, a pet play himbo librarian sequel, and one which is a best friends um, best friends to lovers romance, where they have a fake relationship. But they're not just faking a relationship; they're faking a kink relationship because the girl wants to go to um, a kink club but doesn't want to be bothered, um, like harassed by other people. So she persuades her best friend to go with her sub. 
um and it's kind of adorable like they go in there as best friends and then they leave uh realizing that they actually really care about each other in more than just friends kind of way ah love it yeah (laughs) and i wanted to ask you because there are so many stories i how many stories are in this collection are there 10 uh nine short stories in this collection yeah Okay, nine. And I wanted to ask you if you had like a favorite, a favorite scene because I was flipping through all the stories and I haven't read them all, but I love the, I mean, for me, I'm kind of, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, my dork flag flies very high, very often. And I loved that there were scenes, you know, where they've, planned out everything perfectly and then someone gets a cramp um you know oh yeah make it feel (laughs) yes make me feel very you know it it just makes me really connect and relate to them very much did you have a story or a scene that was like your favorite in the book that you could really connect with So there are a couple. The one you mentioned is called Carrying On, and I call it my sex catastrophe story. Like, it starts with her trying (laughs) to do a striptease, getting tangled in her jeans and face planting in the bed, and ends with, like, the most disastrous but hysterical moment ever. Um, Because laughter (laughs) is an important, intrinsic part of kink and sex. It's not for everyone, but for some people. Um, I, I really enjoyed writing Turning On, which is uh, two girlfriends who live together. One of them's had a really stressful day at work and she comes home and they end up uh, having dinner and them playing together. And there is this moment where the heroine whose point of view we're in is plus size. And there is a moment where her girlfriend ties her up in rope and she looks at herself in the mirror and sees the indentations on the skin and like where, like her curves are sort of pressing over the rope and everything. And she has this moment where she realizes that she looks like art. And she says, I look like art. And there's this moment of complete acceptance of body, which I really, really love writing. And then her girlfriend turns it into into sort of art and statue kink, which is even more fun. Um, and then there's Putting On, which is the last one that came out in the book and sort of the, I think, the penultimate story in the anthology, which has no sex in it whatsoever. The entire thing is an aftercare short story. So we see them sex has just finished and it's just following them as they sort of cuddle spend time together recover um they he makes her the best breakfast sandwich in the world and they get dressed and then they start their day and the whole thing is is looking at those moments they're very much slice of life those those moments together of connection um that's what i i i think i've really enjoyed writing the most because i find them quite moving I think I think the thing I love about romance and writing romance is the other moments of connection and vulnerability. And for people who don't know, can you explain what aftercare is for you know a, a kinky romance? What what is aftercare? So aftercare is after you've done a scene, whether that's role play or banking or tying up or the myriad of other kinks that there are after out there um 
it's how you basically wind down from it. Um, it's sort of scientifically proven that subs in particular, especially if you're doing things like impact play or rope play, uh, you get such a rush of, of adrenaline and sort of certain hormones that coming down from it can feel like a sugar drop. Um, in the same way that you get a sugar high, you have the drop afterwards, you, you get sub drops, and it can be quite emotionally full on. And so aftercare is one way of putting that off. It can take many forms. It can be wrapping the sub up in like the best blanket, having water or snacks available so their blood sugar doesn't drop massively, um, hair strokes. Uh, it could, for some people, it's curling up on the on sofa and watching a ridiculous sitcom that's going to make you laugh. And tops need or doms need sub uh, aftercare as well. So it's about making sure that both parts when they come out of what can be quite an intense scene, both feel loved and reassured about what's gone on and that they're happy and ready to face face the real world again, as it were. I think that explains it. Does Am that I, make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that does. At least for me. I think that makes sense for everyone. <laughs> but but <laughs> I know there's a lot of people who are like, What what is aftercare? Um but yeah, I love that. And and you wrote an entire short story about the the just afterwards. Yeah, and the importance and, and those moments of connection that come in the hey, like we're here together, we're spending time together, let's let's cuddle. It's if you if you're not kingy, it's basically the cuddling after sex moment, but slightly <laughs> elevated. <laughs> um, but like I say, in in my short story, he makes her like the most epic toasted breakfast sandwich with like a brioche bun and bacon and sausages and ketchup and all the butter. And I'm making myself hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, I was <laughs> gonna say, wow, you're making me hungry for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> So what yeah, inspired um, what inspired the series for you? Well, I wasn't was I commissioned, not quite commissioned, but there was an anthology being written on the theme of anyone bed. So I wrote a short story for that. And then when I was thinking about my rights returning after nine months and self-publishing it myself, I thought, well, if I just publish one short story on its own, it's not necessarily going to necessarily do very well. So I was thinking about how I could actually market it differently and came up with the idea of re releasing a short story every month. So on the first, for seven months, on the first um, day of the month, I released another short story, um, which is, it, they were the first things I'd ever published myself and the first series I'd ever published uh, extended because my novel, my first novel comes out in May. So it was a real uh, exercise in writing like writing regularly making sure that I had books ready had them ready edited to go out people to read um and I think it made me a better writer because when you when you when you know that you're writing for a deadline and you've got to turn things around more quickly you realize huh I have to get my butt in the chair I have to write this now like I can't just procrastinate so in terms right. of my writing practice it was really really helpful 
And you must have gotten so, yeah. really good at the the routine of self-publishing if you were doing it once a month because I, I'm hybrid, so I have one series with the publisher and I put the rest out myself. And I, I know from experience that it is hard work getting everything uploaded on every site, being sure you have a cover, getting the edits done on time, all that kind of thing. And you were doing it once a month. Dang. Yes, and they were ebook only because they were so short. They were ebook only, so I didn't have to worry about paying till around Christmas time when I started planning that. And I have a wonderful um, cover artist, cover designer called uh, Teresa from Wolf Sparrow Covers. Um, so she did all of them for me uh, in advance, so I knew exactly what I was doing. And she's doing my covers for my next series as well, which I'm very excited about. Um, so that helped. But yeah, no, the getting into the routine, making sure everything's up in time, that it's all been edited. Uh, it, it's been it's been a wild, wild year. <laughs> yeah, the first one came out in July, I think. Um, and then I've just been go, go, go since then, like one a month. Um, wow. But it's really yeah. great. It's really great practice. And I've thoroughly enjoyed exploring my characters as well because you – because they're short stories, thinking about how you're going to market them and getting people to buy short stories, you have to think really carefully about um, what tropes you're going to use, how, you know, what your taglines are going to be. One of my best, uh, one of the better selling ones out of all of them was the Kimbo Librarian, um, which is the librarian he meets his dom in the light in the library, and they go out and have this date. It's kind of adorable. Um, but because of that tagline, the Himbo Librarian, it sold really well. And there's me going, huh, I should think, as opposed to just doing traits, I should think about character archetypes. Um, and it right. made what I'm planning for the next couple of years in terms of my novels, made me think about how I'm going to do those as well, which is really fun. So, yeah. Very <laughs> cool. Wow. And I wanted to ask you, too, that kind of dovetails into your first, you know, full-length novel that's coming out in May, and it's up for pre-order now, so everyone listening, you can go grab it now. But do you want to tell everybody about Forged in Flames and, and how it's going to be? Is it the same heat level as the others? I know it's paranormal. Yeah, so it's going to be kinky paranormal romance. Uh, the first one is okay. It, it is the same heat level, but they don't have a formal kink dynamic. Um, it's mainly just him wanting to worship every inch of her, which is just adorable. So the premise of the <laughs> series is, and this is the first in the five book series, um, the premise is that um, magic has started leaking back into the world. It's been banished from the world for years. And as that's happening, gods are awakening, ancient gods. Uh, and the wild hunt, uh, which has been trapped for the last 2,000 years, is suddenly thrown into our current day world and told by Nodens, who is uh, the ancient Briton gods of god of hunting, um, that they have to find the god's touch. There's a god's touched human who is causing problems and they have to get rid of her. Only when they discover her or when Morkant discovers her, who is our hero, 2,000-year-old hero, uh, he realizes that she is a fiery blacksmith heroine who's accidentally awakened an ancient goddess and been granted dragon shifting abilities. And so it's about how he and the wild hunter may get to see the rest of them, or the freed hunt, as I call them, 
uh, we get to see the rest of the freed hunts in the in the rest of the books um how they adapt to like modern life but also how as this magic starts leaking back into the world how the gods touch humans are impacted by these gods and goddesses who sort of come down and go right i want to play chess with human lives now i'm bored let me do something um and and, and all the trouble that that brings with it so yeah it's, i love it's it it sounds fantastic i'm really excited yeah the first one is up for pre-order now on amazon the cover is to be revealed i think at the beginning of next month which is very exciting um, and Forged in Flames is a slight nod to Forged in Fire, which is one of my favourite reality TV shows where you have blacksmiths literally forging. So it's a little a little nod to that. And the university I work at has one of the has the first UK master blacksmith working in the art department. So she gave me lots of tips on how how forging works in a practical sense. So the research for this has been so much fun. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And <laughs> and there's going to be five <laughs> books. So everybody should go and pre-order that first one so you can dive right in. Yes. So the first one comes out in May. The second one will be out in August. And then the next three come out over the next two years. Um, and the second book is Boudicca, one of Boudicca's daughters and a an Italian British librarian heroine. So it's a an FF or women loving women romance. Um which will have oh, a okay. spin off series of its own uh with three Italian British uh lesbian sisters who are exploring Italian folk magic, which is my own heritage that I'm currently exploring at the moment, which is a lot of fun. So it's really interesting oh, to how how all these god these poor gods touched humans across the different theories that I have found, um, all have their lives sort of thrown into like disarray, uh, and yet manage to still muddle along and fall in love and make sure that the gods don't completely muck everything up for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only a little only a little mucking. <laughs> only a tiny bit of mucking. So yeah, so the first series, all the um, all the books are inspired by a different local legends on the South Downs, which is really fun. And then I have a series that's going to be set in northern Italy, uh, based around Etruscan assassin demons, so the Etruscan time period. And then a series based on um, Gaelic Scottish Scottish Gaelic um, mythology with lesbian werewolf wrestlers. Uh, <laughs> Wow, oh my gosh. I love it. Those are all right up my alley. (laughs) (laughs) So planning this big sprawling world, which is is fun. And I like, I love paranormal romance. Like you mentioned, you mentioned your latest Sedona book is out, which arrived on my Kindle today. Very excited to see the final, (laughs) the the final final book. But also to follow you along to, to, where did you say the next one is? In um, Salem, Massachusetts. So it's going to be yeah. the first wolf pack with magic. Oh, that sounds so much yeah. fun. So fun, yeah. No. Yeah, the, the, the magic has been crawling in because the, uh, in the 
sanctuary, we met the Salem wolf pack. But when I realized that the Salem wolf pack is, has a lot of magic there, I was like, oh. So anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be really fun. But a, there's some magic in salvation so that you can sort of get a feel for what's coming. <laughs> oh, I love that. And then it's always delightful when your characters turn around and do something that you don't expect. Like Kenno is is a yeah. dragon shifter, but then refused to dragon shift for a number of chapters. And I'm there going, I don't understand. What do I have to do to get you to shift, Kenna? Like, I get that this is all quite overwhelming to you, but like, come on. You can be a dragon. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> and then when it does, when she does finally shift, it's, in relation to something that's just happened to Morkan. And she kind of loses her temper, and it all happens all at once. And I suddenly went, ah, that's why. Like, I needed, I needed, she she wasn't going to just shift for anyone. Like, it needed to be, like, a big key romance moment. Uh, which I, which oh, was a there we go. Right. <laughs> so I wanted I wanted to ask you, um, our listeners are always really interested in how you followed this path because everyone's writing journey is so different. And so how did you find yourself writing romance novels? Um, did, you know, did you always want to write or did this come later? Were you in school to be a mathematician? Um, <laughs> you know, how did how did this come to be that now you're an author? I mean, I've always loved writing and telling stories, but I never, I went to university, I did a master's in Shakespeare, I was going to go off and do a, uh, do a PhD on Shakespeare and retelling stories, and then sort of ended up going to teaching for a bit, and went down a completely different path. And then a couple of years ago, I started a romance blog, so reviewing. So I was reviewing, and then ended up just going, but I have stories to tell too. And it I started writing, but it wasn't until I joined the Word Makers group uh, around last year that I started actually finishing things. And that was a really exciting thing, like finding my own practice. Um, I have ADHD, and I think one of the things I really struggled with for the longest time was writing on my own, sitting in front of a screen and trying to write. Um, the moment I was in a writing group and we had Zoom open and we're doing sprints and people, are, there is body doubling. So where you can see someone else working as well, all of a sudden I found myself right. so much more effective and efficient. And actually, whereas before I could, you know, it might take me eight, nine, ten hours to write 2,000 words, I was doing that in two, three hours. And going, oh, wow, I can actually write quite fast. Like, it, it was um, <laughs> finding, that golden, finding that golden method. And then that sort of fed into my research as well, because I'm doing a PhD. So my PhD is on, um, I'm doing creative, creative writing PhD on romance, and I'm looking specifically at speculative romance, so fantasy, paranormal, science fiction, short stories, um, <clears throat> and how, how we use them in our own writing. And one of the things that I've been doing, and you are partly to blame for this, uh, <laughs> is uh, using tarot as a way, as a writing uh, tool. So I, I've good. never been very good at planning. So I've mm -hmm. been using it as a way of pulling ideas at the beginning. I've developed my own little kink um, interpretation for a, a particular major arcana uh, deck. <clears throat> and I use them. So when, I, when I'm sitting down to do this particular project for my PhD, like I sit down, 
I pull out the cards. I use the, um, what I use mainly, I use the Everyday Witch uh, mini tarot for kink, and then I use mm-hmm. the Wild Unknown archetypes um, for, like, story plotting and thinking about the wider pictures. Um, and it helps focus me in on the essence of the characters as opposed to just thinking about plot, because I can get, plot I can write, um, it's right. about trying to work out what it is that, what what drives the characters in the first place. And I found that yes. using something that's slightly different as a way of planning, that has been really successful for me. It's been so much fun. So, yeah. Ah, I love hearing that. I feel so strongly that writers should, you know, use use tarot to help them, you know, make a complete rounded character or at least know what the character's gut reaction to things will be. And I think it's such a great tool. So I'm so excited to hear you're using it. Yay. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's been it's been really good. And the workshop you ran on um tarot for writing was excellent. Like Hundred percent, really helpful. Oh, as thank in referencing you. it in my PhD, it is referenced in my PhD. Um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but I, I think it's a really because we're so often told, particularly in the Western tradition of writing, that you should be using the three act structure, or you should be using, you know, the right. hero's journey and very traditional structures for how we're writing and there's nothing wrong with those structures whatsoever but actually when you're planning using those you always the structures end up being the same and I'm interested in playing around with that particularly for the short story form so when I'm working with short stories yeah. doing things slightly different thinking about how those beats fall and cancel differently um it's so much fun so yeah so using tarot seemed like a natural progression um from the research that I'm doing uh so yeah that that's been that's been my big exploration in the last couple of months with my with my research oh, I love it oh. Oh, well I'm so bummed that we're running out of time because we could talk all day about all this stuff but um, before we go before she before she cuts us off how can readers get in touch with you are you on social media should they sign up for your newsletter how can they get in touch Yes, yeah, so if you go to AliWilliams.org, you can find all my social media links. I'm very active on Twitter uh, and Instagram. I use TikTok uh, sporadically, uh, but Twitter is definitely the best place to get hold of me. And I am CL Aficionado on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, if you go to my website, AliWilliams, A-L-I-Williams.org, you can sign up for my newsletter where you get snippets of upcoming books occasionally the, the odd free short story um and more information about like my research my writing and my editing so yeah that's me ah, yay well thanks so much for being here Allie. it was great chatting with you and um we'll have to do it again sometime oh definitely and thank you so much for having me lisa i've really enjoyed myself thanks for thank joining you. us on book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.